0: all right well good morning church hey listen so uh this morning we are in the ninth week of our 18 week series through the sermon on the mount and our passage today comes to us from matthew chapter 6 and so this morning we are going to be in matthew 6 verses 1 through 4 matthew 6 verses 1 through 4 so if you have your bibles i would love for you to please turn there um, if you have your devices, I would love for you to please uh, turn them on and go there. And we're going to be in Matthew six one through four. And I would love for you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Here's what it says in Matthew six one through four. So we just finished chapter five, right? That took that took a while. It took a while. We just got through chapter five. And uh, here's what uh, chapter 6 says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward. Everyone say reward. From your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. That they may be praised. Everyone say praised. By others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we come before you this morning, um, God, I, I want to continue the prayer that I've been praying. All week that I've been praying for the past several weeks concerning this sermon. Uh, Lord, as we talk about giving today, as we talk about money today, God, this is a topic uh, that can get really weird really quick. But you're not weird with it. You talk about it often. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to uh, approach this topic the same way you approach this topic. And, God, I know that you love us so much that you will not allow anything, not even money, to take your place. Jesus, you say in this very Sermon on the Mount, you say you can't serve two masters. You either serve God or money. And so, God, I pray that as we step into this, I pray that you would prepare the soils of our hearts in order to be recipient to the seeds of your word. And I pray, Father, that it would result in not us manipulatively responding uh, because of guilt, but in us responding because of grace. Lead this time. I pray, Lord, I pray this every week, but I I very, very specifically pray that this week. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be honoring and glorifying to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, at the end of the day, what this body needs is not my opinion. What they need is your word. Lord, the grass withers and the flower fades. But your word endures forever. We thank you for that reality. Speak in this place. Speak through me. We ask it and we beg it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. You may be seated. All right, so this morning, uh, what we're going to do is we are going to be looking at Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Uh, under four headings Uh, we're gonna begin this morning by looking at the theology of giving then we are going to look at the mandate for giving then from there we're gonna look at the method of giving and we are going to conclude by looking at the motive for giving so theology the mandate the method and the motive but I want to begin this morning by looking at the theology of giving and here's why because in this passage Jesus is providing for us a theology of giving. That's what he's doing here in this text. But the reality, though, is that this isn't the only time that Jesus talks to us about giving. This isn't the only time that Jesus in his ministry brings up the topic and subject of giving generosity and money. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus brings up money and giving more than faith and prayer combined. Think about that. So if we were to take everything Jesus says about faith and everything that Jesus says about prayer and put it all together, he brings up money more than that. And so what we see is that in the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus, giving, this subject of giving, was a very big and important topic for him to address. And it's not just that, but even if you look at the parables of Jesus, depending on who you talk to, depending on which scholar you look at, Jesus essentially has roughly around 40 parables in the Gospels. And out of those 40 11 of them have to do with money and giving. And so what we see is that Jesus had no problem whatsoever bringing up the topic at all. See, but it's not just Jesus that brings it up. If you go to the Old Testament again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, we see the topic of money and generosity and giving be brought up. And it's not just the Old Testament, Paul brings it up. As a lot of the verses that I'm going to quote for you today come from the writings of Paul. But it's not just Paul, James brings it up. And John brings it up. In other words, what we see with these biblical writers is that they understood that in order to fully disciple a body of believers, you have to talk about their idols. And there's nothing that will most rival the place of God in your life than money. And so if you are at a church that never brings up money, right, they actually are not discipling you. They're not helping you become a fully developed, fully formed, fully mature follower of Jesus. Because what we see throughout both the Old and New Testament is that money is brought up, and it is brought up often. Now, the reason why I want to start here with the theology of Giving is because you may not know this, but every person in this room has a theology of giving. Whether you've been coming to church for 30 years or whether this is your first ever church experience, you've been at church for 30 minutes, whether you are watching online for the 40th time or for the first time, whether you are a fully mature follower of Jesus or someone who doesn't even consider Jesus as Lord, it doesn't matter. Every person within the sound of my voice, every person on planet earth has a theology of giving. The question is, is that theology biblical or not? So it's not a matter of if you have a theology, is the theology you have biblical? See, because here's what I would argue. I would argue that at best we all have, some of us, not all, but some of us have a partially biblical theology of giving. giving. And at worst, some of us have a totally unbiblical theology. And I can tell you how you know. Here's how you know if your theology is biblical or not. If someone were to ask you, what does the Bible say about money? If you could only think about one or two verses, then you have a partial theology of giving. A very narrow theology of giving. Many people only know one verse. They know the Malachi 3 one. Hey, you give and God's going to give you back. That's all they know, right? So your theology of giving, of giving is directly tied to how many passages about giving you actually know. How many passages of, about giving you've actually studied. So either it's partial at best or totally unbiblical at worst. And so the reason why what I want to do this morning is I want to zoom out uh, before we zoom in is because I want to make sure that we are all working off the same theology of giving that the Bible gives us. And it's not that we're going to cover everything Scripture says, but I want to zoom out enough so that we all can have some guardrails when it comes to this topic. This is an area in the church where we have really botched it. You have churches that never bring it up at all. And then you have prosperity churches that bring it up every weekend. Right? So that's why I want to zoom out. Because my goal this morning is to give you a theology of giving. Because here's the thing. If all I did was look at this passage, what Jesus is saying here in this text is such a small sliver of what he says about giving, that if the rest of your theology is bad, me adding one kernel of truth isn't going to fix the rest of your bad theology. You get what I'm saying? So that's why we got to zoom out this morning before we zoom back in. Here's a reality. Depending on what your church background is, depending on how cynical you are, whenever you're at a church and the topic of money comes up, you think one of two things. You either think this church is struggling with poverty, like, man, the budget must be tight. And that's why they're bringing this up. Or if you're real cynical, you think, no, it's not that struggling with poverty. This, this is a prosperity church. Oh, this is one of those churches. Right? Well, th- those are the assumptions we make when money is brought up. Either it's a church struggling with poverty or it's a church striving for prosperity. But what Jesus says is that a church that brings up money regularly is not struggling with poverty or prosperity. It's a biblical church. Because they are bringing up money just as much as he brings up money. And I can tell you that if I, as your pastor, do not bring up this subject, I am not fully discipling you. I am not stewarding the role God has given me. If I allow just an area of your life to remain an idol, you know what's interesting? In the Old Testament, it says that to the rich, their money is a strong tower. But then in another place in the Old Testament, it says that God is your strong tower. If I allow you to let your money remain your strong tower, I am not being a good shepherd. And so that's why we begin with the theology of giving. Now, the second thing that I want to look at this morning is I want to look at the mandate for giving. The mandate. And uh, to do that, I want to read to you from verses 2 through 3. Jesus says, thus, when you give, everyone say, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse three, but when you give, everyone say, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You see, so what I want you to see here is this. In the church today, we have made a very, very uh, dangerous mistake. And, 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 and before I even tell you what the mistake is, let me tell you uh, why we made it. In the American church today, we have allowed the individualistic consumerism that defines our culture to get into the church. And it's not even like, let's protect ourselves from I mean, no, it. No, it already got in. It's like the Trojan horse. It, it's already in. And because of that, because people in my position have not discipled their people to have a biblical worldview, people then have been discipled by the world to have an individualistic Western worldview. And here is essentially what the Western worldview teaches. It's your money, it's your body, it's your life, and no one can tell you what to do with it. And so as a result, what's happened in the American church, specifically the American church, is you have people who view giving as an optional thing. We, we don't talk about it at church like it's a mandate. We treat it like it's an option. Like, it's an extracurricular activity. Like, hey, if you want to be a really, really faithful Christian, hey, if you want to leave junior varsity and be varsity, you have to give. See, but the problem is, when we don't treat it like a mandate, we are being unbiblical. Because what we see in Scripture is that giving is not an option. It's a requirement. Let me make this crystal clear. Even if this is the only thing you hear, even if this is the last time you come here because of what I'm saying, and if you leave because of this, it's because money's your God, not God. Yeah, that's right. It is not optional. It is a requirement. It is a command. It is a mandate. It says in the Old Testament that if we don't give, we are robbing from God. We are stealing from God. Don't miss that. I'm not even trying to guilt you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Sometimes when you hear truth, you haven't heard it in so long, you think it's guilt. But it's not. It's just truth. And that's what we see. When it comes to scripture, we we tend to treat money and giving the same way we treat serving and evangelizing and discipling. We as in the American church, I don't know why we have done this. Well, I know. Actually, I do know. It's because of the individualism and the worldliness that has gotten into the church. We have made things optional that Jesus did not make optional. Discipleship is not an option. Serving is not an option. Giving is not an option. Evangelizing is not an option. But we have made these things extracurricular activities. What Jesus says was, was core to the curriculum we have made. Hey, if you got time, go ahead and take this class. That's what we see. But what's interesting about what Jesus says, though, again, who cares what I say? What's interesting about what Jesus says, though, is that Jesus says, he doesn't say if you give, he says when you give. And this is why this passage was what forced me to zoom out. This little line, that right there, where Jesus says, when you give, I had to zoom out because I was like, wait, wait. The only way this passage is applicable to someone is if they're giving. Because Jesus is talking about how to give. But if you're not giving, this passage has nothing to do with you. He doesn't say if you get to it. He says, no, when you get to it, Do it this way. In Scripture, giving is a mandate. So much so that Jesus doesn't say if, he says when. And this is why I felt like I had to zoom out, because if all we did was look at these four verses and be like, well, what if I don't give? This has nothing to do with me. Now here, let me make this very clear, though. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're still considering the things of Jesus. Well, for one, you picked a great Sunday to be here. Okay, so I I apologize. (laughs) But this doesn't pertain to you. If If you're still considering Jesus and Christianity, this is not about you. I don't want your money. This is not about that. I'm talking to the people here who say I am a follower of Jesus. I'm talking to the people here who say this is my home church. That's who I'm talking to and that's who Jesus is talking to. And here's the thing. I would argue, personally, I would argue that in order for us to really understand this this mandate in order for us to truly understand how we got here as a church, and when I say church, I don't just mean the little c church high point, I mean the, the Western church, like how, how we have gotten here. I, I started wrestling with that. I'm like, why do American Christians think this is optional? Right? So I started doing some research and, and here, here, here's what I, what I came across. There, there's a couple things I wanna share with you here. First one is a study that was done not too long ago, actually, um, about evangelical Christians. And the study is titled The Generosity Factor. And the subtitle of this generosity factor is Evangelicals and Giving. And, And get this, this is a direct quote from the findings. This is crazy. Actually, no, it's not that crazy. But it is sad. The median... For church giving among evangelicals now, there's a na- nationwide survey, the median for church giving is 0.57%. 0. 0.57%, 0. not even 1%, 0.57%. And here's the crazy thing you know, Christians be lying. So this is with the exaggeration included. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I give. Oh, of course. I give all the time. The median for church giving is 0.57%. This is the quote. Yes, that's just over one half of 1%. Then charitable giving, so above and beyond, is 0.1%, or one-tenth of one percent. Total church, total giving to the church and charity combined shows a median figure of exactly, roughly around one percent. And then this is the quote, it's not me. Think about that figure for a moment. Half, because that's what they figured out, half of American evangelicals don't give anything. And then the half that do, give less than 1% of their household income. So then, out of curiosity, I told you this a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again. I don't know what individuals give at this church, and I never want to know. I don't think that's for me to know. But out of curiosity, after reading this and wrestling with this passage, I asked our team, I said, hey, that's, okay, that's the overall church. Can you give me an idea of what our church gives, right? And them being numbers, guys, they went out there and had like 17 different formulas. And they're like, well, if you use this formula, it's this number. And if you use that formula, I'm like, all right, that's too complicated. Is it good or is it bad? And they're like, it is really, really bad. And this is why I can't just preach this text and assume that you're giving. Because if our numbers are anywhere similar to these numbers, 50, what? 80 to 50% of the room doesn't even relate to this message. It doesn't even apply to you. Forget about giving the wrong way. You're not even giving at all. Listen, I'm not saying this to convict you. I'm saying this to inform you. It, it would not be right for me as your pastor to not tell you that giving is a requirement, that this is a command. Man, because, man, when I'm talking about discipleship, people are like, amen, brother. Yeah. Evangelism, amen, brother. Serving, amen, brother. You bring money, oh, oh, hey. You T.D. Jakes now, bro? What's going on? You trying to get a private jet now? Every time money comes up, people get awkward. That's what we see here. So, so let, me, let, me, let me do this real quick. Let me tell you, show you how this isn't just a you thing. This is a, a, a we thing. It's a church thing, okay? Th- these are the three reasons why I believe we have gotten here as the, the Western American evangelical church. The, the first reason, I already kind of inferred, but I want to I unpack it more, it is because we live in a cultural moment, in an individualistic cultural moment that tells you it's your budget, it's your body, it's your life, and you could do whatever you want with it, right? It, it, who, who is your church to tell you what to do with yourself? See, but here's the problem, though. Biblically speaking, it isn't your stuff. It, it doesn't belong to you. As a matter of fact, let me, let me show you how this plays out in the Franco household. So I have two little girls, right, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. And one of the fights that happens all the time, they, they share a bedroom. We tried having them be in two be- separate bedrooms for a while, it was a disaster, so we brought, them, we brought them back together. And it's still a disaster, but just not as big of a disaster. And my oldest one in particular, like if her sister even goes on her side of the room, it's like that Full House uh, uh, episode where DJ puts like the tape, you know? <laughs> D- don't touch that, that's, that's my pillow. Don't, don't, don't lay on my bed. That's my bed. Don't touch that toy. That's my toy. Right? That argument happens at least twice a week at our house. And here's how I fix it. I go up there and I'm like, hey, hey, what's going on? Well, she's touching my pillow. Or she's, she's on my bed. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, time out. Who, whose bed is it? Oh, 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 it's your bed. You paid for it? Well, no, I didn't pay for it. But, you know, I sleep on it. Oh, that's oh, that's your toy. Oh, I didn't get that email. Sorry, when did you send it? Was it was earlier today? Let me refresh my inbox because I didn't see that. This is your toy. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. And then they respond the same way every time. Okay, Poppy. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because we say Poppy at our house. Uh, We're Hispanic. Uh, That's how we do it. (laughs) It's not Daddy or Father or anything like that. It's Poppy. And uh, and they go, Okay, Poppy. All right, guess, yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not okay. Who, who does it belong to? Well, I guess it belongs to you. I'm like, all right. Well, shut up then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's free parenting advice for you. <laughs> but that's how it is with God, though. Right? And, and we go to God, and God's, we say, hey, God, you can't have my money. And God's like, whoa, whoa, time out. That's your money? Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. So, so the breath that you just breathed in order to say what you just said, that's your breath too? Okay, cool, cool. So, so the fact that you were born in this era and not in the Great Depression, that, you did that too? Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Oh, that belongs to you. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, I, who am I? No, no, it doesn't belong to you. None of it. Not your money, not your house, not your family, nothing. You are a steward, not an owner. We can't allow the world's perspective to change the temporary world that we live in, the temporary culture we live in to change God's eternal word. Here's the other reason, though. It's not just our worldly culture. I would say it's specifically this church's culture, High Point Church's culture. So, At High Point Church, we're, we're, Lord willing, in the fall, going to be celebrating our 20th year anniversary. And I've been here roughly around three years. But I would say that historically in our church, we have not given people a theology of money. We haven't. Going back to what we said in week two of this sermon series, we said this. We said, in in light of the parable of the soils, Jesus says that 75% of the soils we cast, of the seeds we cast, will produce no lasting fruit right? He said only 25% will, but that 25 will produce 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And if you look at how Jesus teaches it, what he is saying is, is you can preach to the 100%, you can pastor the 100%, but you focus, you pour into the 25%, right? That's what Jesus says in that text. I would say historically as a church, we have been a church that's focused only on the 75% you bring your unsafe friend here and we're gonna get him saved and we're gonna get him baptized and we're gonna do all the work for you. All you gotta do there is sit and clap. But we have switched as a church and we've become biblical now. And so now instead of entertaining the 75%, on a Sunday morning, we are equipping the 25% so that they go out and reach the 75%. So that conversions are happening in the hub on a Tuesday, not here on a Sunday. I'm not saying people can't come to Jesus here, but many decisions that are made here on a stage are emotional decisions. They they don't understand the cost of discipleship. They don't even understand what Christianity means. And so as a church that has been historically focused on entertaining the 75 instead of equipping the 25, we would never ask for money because God forbid we'll offend somebody. We can't, God forbid. And when we ever when we did bring up money, here's how High Point would bring up money. It would always be an occasional thing. Like, hey, we're raising money for this thing. Or we're raising money for that thing. Or they would try to tell you some inspirational story about how your money did this. And then they would ask you. But you don't see Jesus giving any inspirational stories here. He says, you don't need to be inspired. It's a command. Do it. Whether it's a cute story or not whether there's this big fundraising thing or not, whether it's a project we're raising money for, no, no, it's a requirement and it's not occasional. It is regular. And so I think we as a church have let you down by how we have dealt with money in the past. And then lastly, and just to show you how I'm culpable in this, I have let you down because here's why I have learned over the last two years. So I've been a pastor now almost 15 years. And for the first roughly 12 years of my ministry, I thought if I could just preach the gospel compellingly, clearly, passionately, it'll take care of itself. If I can just inform people's heads, right, with good theology, and I can inspire people's hearts with the gospel, everything else will take care of itself. It just will. But then over the past two years, what God has taught me is I have stepped into discipleship and now I'm discipling five men and have been doing it for over 18 months. And now I'm teaching DNA and seeing how people actually change. It's not enough to give people information for their head. It's not enough to give people inspiration for their heart. Because if it was, the percentages of our giving at our church would be much higher. I got to approach it the way Jesus approaches it, which is he taught people how to do things. He knew the head was enough, the heart was enough. I have to teach your hands. That's why he taught them how to pray. He taught them how to give. He taught them how to serve. He taught them how to minister. Jesus was always teaching their hands because he knew just giving them head knowledge and giving them passion for their heart is not enough. So over this past journey, that's what God's taught me. Like, I have to do more as your shepherd And yeah, I'm gonna keep preaching the word of God for your head. I'm going to keep preaching the work of God for your heart. But what's been missing in my ministry is that now it's like, no, no, it's not enough just to tell you the truth for your head and give you the gospel for your heart. No, it's now we go from information to inspiration to implementation. And again, here's the thing. It really doesn't matter what I think or what I'm saying. What matters is, does the Bible say what I'm saying? So so let's go to Scripture here for a second, and I'm going to read you what the Bible says about giving. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 1 through 2. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Listen to this. Paul actually gives them, how to, a a plan on how to regularly give. He says this, verse two, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Don't miss that. So we give according to the degree that we prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. See, Paul doesn't leave it up to chance. He says, let me tell you exactly how to do it. Then in 2 Corinthians 8, 6, and 7, Paul writes this. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete uh, among you this act of grace. And the act of grace he's referring to is giving. The the act of giving. Then he says this. I love this. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in all our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I love it that he calls it an act of grace, one. Not an act of guilt, not an act of manipulation. He says it's an act of grace. But Paul says, hey, you're growing spiritually in all these areas, and praise God for that. But if you're not growing in this area, there is a hole in your maturity. Let's keep going. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 12. Paul says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, this is God he's talking about, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Don't miss the connection there. Why does God enrich us? So that we might be what? Generous. He doesn't enrich us so that we keep it to ourselves. Or that we leave this huge amount of money for our kids. No, no, he enriches us so that we may be generous. Generous, he says, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And then he says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. So he's here, he's talking to them about how their giving supports the ministry that him and the apostles are doing. Okay, let's go to the next one, 1 Timothy 6. 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, now pause there. If you look at any data, if you live in the Western world and get paid minimum wage, you're rich. Comparatively to the world. So he's talking to all of us here. Okay? Okay? He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Again, everything comes from God. We've seen that numerous times already. Verse 18 the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Thus stirring up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love this. Paul says that that which is truly life is not money, which is what the world teaches. It's the gospel Then First Timothy, here in First Timothy five, Paul is talking to a church who is supporting the ministry of Timothy, okay? And here's what he says about this church, this this church, which is the church in Ephesus, according to scholars. He says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul here in this passage is saying, You should financially support the ministry of your church. And in this last verse, uh, uh, Dr. Paul David Tripp, uh, who's one of my uh, favorite authors, he says this. Let me read the verse and then I'll tell you what he says about it. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So get this. Paul Tripp says this is actually the most important verse on giving in the Bible. And you're like, that's weird. Really? Because it feels like he's only talking to the thief, to those who steal. But here he says, he says, here's why. One reason is because in light of what we said earlier, when we don't give, we're thieves. We're all thieves. Anyone who doesn't give is a thief. We are robbing from God, it says in the Old Testament. Okay? So now, all of a sudden, all of us are, are up in this verse. And then he says, and this is fascinating. This is what Paul Tripp says. He says, doing honest work with your hands. Why? So that he may have something to share. He, this is what Paul Tripp says from this verse. And once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. He says, God says in this text, the reason why we work is to give. Why do I work? To give. Hey, why do you have a job? Oh, to give. Why is God giving you resources? To give. He says we're so quick to only look at the thief here that we don't realize that Paul here is saying you work in order to give. That's what it's saying there. And then Randy Elkhorn says this. He says we talk about a standard of living but not a standard of giving. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living but to raise my standard of giving. Church, we work to give. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. And the reason why I just gave you all these verses, and trust me, there was more. The reason why I gave you these verses is because I don't want you to think that this is me trying to manipulate you. This is me trying to get in your pockets. It's not that. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If it feels like I am stepping on your toes... I apologize because I was aiming for your heart. So let me, let me help clean up your prayer list here for a second, okay? Let me, let, me, let me take one of those things off the prayer list. If you have been praying about God, should I give or not, just go ahead and get rid of that one. Just <laughs> cross it out. Don't even worry about that prayer request. There's a lot of things you should be praying about. But man, how often do we pray about things we shouldn't have to pray? Hey, God, I wonder if you're okay with me sleeping with my boyfriend. I don't know. He's not. God, I just wonder what you want me to do with my money. Should, should I give? I don't know. Don't even pray about it anymore. I'm making your prayer life easier. It is not a suggestion to consider. It is a command to obey. And here's the thing. I want you to understand this. We're going to talk about this more in the next point. The amount you give looks different from person to person, from Christian to Christian. The amount varies, but the action should not. The percentage varies, but the practice does not. And what we have made optional, Jesus says, is required. And what we say is occasional, Jesus says, should be regular. So that is the mandate for giving. Now, the next thing that I want to look at this morning is I want to look at the method, the method of giving. And and, uh, to do that, I'm going to reread to you the text again, specifically uh, what Jesus says here around where the money should go. Here in this passage, Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the what? Needy. And then in verse 3, he says it again. But when you give to the needy. So in this passage, Jesus is talking about a very specific type of giving, a very specific method of giving. But here's the thing. In the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, this wasn't the only type of giving that was required from the Israelites. The type of giving that Jesus is referring to here is almsgiving, which was the giving to the poor. Now, the reason why this type of giving was needed is because back then, they didn't have a social security system. They didn't have a welfare system. So if the wealthy didn't take care of the poor, the poor would die. Okay? But the, the type of giving that Jesus is talking about here is only a part of the type of giving that the Israelites, a first century Jew, was required to give. And again, if we only zoom into this passage, you would think that's the only giving they do. But this is only a part of what they do. In that day, in the time, the Old Covenant, we'll talk about the New Covenant here in a second, but in the Old Covenant, there was three types of giving. The first type of giving was tithe. We've, we've all heard the tithe. Tithe is a 10%. That's what the word tithe means. And as a first century Jew, you were to give God 10% of everything. Your livestock, your money, your grain. You were to give God 10% of everything. And here's what's interesting, and I've actually been reminded of this as I've been reading through the Bible again this year. If you look at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the 10%, the reason why God requires it of them is because the people's 10% is given to the Levites. Because the Levites don't have their own land. So even back then, the people who were in ministry were supported by all the other tribes. So it's not just a New Testament concept. It's an Old Testament concept. So it was almost like a tax. You as a Jew knew 10% of your stuff was gone off the top. It was the first thing you gave God, which is so funny because a lot of us, we do the opposite, right? Like we pay everything else. We buy everything. We make our Amazon orders. We, we, we get our Netflix in, in order. Uh, we get everything. To, we, got, we got our clothes. We, our, our clothes is looking on point, And then we look at the budget. Ah, God, only got $2 for you this time. Sorry. See, but with them, it came first. It was your first fruits that were given to God. It wasn't just 10%, but it was the first 10% that was given to God. So that's the first type of giving they did, the tithing. Then there was almsgiving, which we already talked about. And then there was offerings. Offerings were different from tithes. Offerings is what you gave to God in addition to your tithe. I think in the American church, we talk about tithes and offerings like they're the same thing. But in the Bible, tithe was your 10%, offerings was anything extra. So it seems like the Israelites only had to give money to the poor, but this was only one-third of the money they had to give. One one type of the type of giving they had to give. That's what we see when we look at the Old Testament. Now, the question that we have to wrestle wrestle with now is, okay, if that's the method in the Old Testament. What should be our method? What should be our mode of giving in the New Testament? Well, depending on who you read, different Christians, different scholars have different views on if the tithe is still required of us. And really, in the, Old, in the New Testament, the tithe is brought up by Jesus. I'm going to read the passage to you here in a second. And and. I think it's kind of shaky theological ground, but I'm gonna to read to you and the passage and tell you why people think the tithe is still something we should be doing. Look what it says in Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, and he says this: Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law: justice and mercy. And faithfulness. Now you would think, Jesus would say, stop tithing and do these things instead. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. See, he doesn't shut down the idea of tithing. He doesn't say don't ever tithe again. So yeah, maybe in the New Testament, it doesn't say you should keep tithing, but Jesus could have easily shut it down here and he doesn't. He says, you could have done this And you could have done that. Okay? So here's what I would say. I don't like drawing hard lines when there isn't a hard line to draw. I would say that as this is the way my family approach it, I would say that a 10% for a New Testament believer in many ways is the baseline. It really is. It's, 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 It's baseline. That's how my family have done it. Well, for a long time in my walk with Jesus, I didn't give because no one ever told me to. I didn't know what it meant. But once I figured out what it was, we give that. And then anything else we give to missionaries, anything else we do is in addition to the 10%. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. Jesus says not to do that. I'm just giving you an example of how my family has navigated this issue, okay? But here's what I need you to wrestle with. The reason why we as, you almost think, okay, good. 10% isn't fully required for me, whew, And now it's a matter of how little can I give instead of how much can I give? See, but here's the problem. The reason why the New Testament, again, it doesn't remove the tithe. I I think Jesus makes that clear. But let's say you don't want to use that principle. Okay, that's cool. That's between you and God. But here's the thing. The reason why the New Testament doesn't have to is because generosity, the expectation of generosity increases in the New Testament because the example of generosity also increases. See, being on the other side of the cross... We have been given the most incredible example of generosity ever given. And so the reason why the expectation goes up is because the example went up. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. And praise God he didn't. It says that he poured himself out for you and for me. And so the expectation goes up for generosity because the example of generosity goes up. And so here is what, I want you to wrestle with. I really do. And 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 at the end of this, uh, well, let me say this, and then I'll, and then I'll say what I, I'm gonna say. You have to wrestle with God. I want you as if again, if you're new here, this is in your church. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the people here who are followers of Jesus and consider this your church. And even if you leave our church because of this, and you go to another church, you have to still pray about this unless you plan never going to church ever again, okay? I want you to go before the Lord, and here's what I want you to wrestle with. This is, again, from Scripture, not from me. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8, Paul says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. I can't decide for you. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, which is what most pastors do when it comes to this subject. To make you give reluctantly and under compulsion. For God loves a what? A cheerful, the word there means grateful, joyful, worshipful giver. It's between you and God. I don't know what that percentage is. I don't know what that amount is. I don't know where you land at. But here's the thing. If you pray about it and at the end you're like, oh, God told me I don't have to give, uh, you didn't hear from God. Okay. Every person's different. Maybe you're you're, you're in a a season right now where you're struggling and things, maybe it's hard to make ends meet. But here's what's so funny about this. This is something that I had to wrestle with when we started giving. There's a story about the farmer. I don't think it's a true story, but the story told about a farmer who he was expecting to get one calf and God gave him two calves. And so he goes into his house and he's like, honey, uh, God blessed us with two calves. And so one belongs to us and the other belongs to the Lord. And she's like, "All right, well, praise God, right?" And a few days go by, and one of the calves died. And he leaves the barn, comes back into the house. You know, shoulders slumped, super sad. And he's like, "Honey, I got bad news." And she's like, "What?" She's like, "The Lord's calf died. We lost him." Why is it always the Lord's calf that dies? Isn't that convenient? It's always the Lord's calf. It's never the Netflix calf. The gym membership calf, the hobby calf. No. It's always the Lord's calf that dies. And so we have to really pray. Again, this is between you and God. I'm not trying to, fork. this is between you and God this week. Look at your budget and say, God, I, this does not belong to me. This belongs to you. Listen, my goal this morning is not to fill up one offering plate after a manipulative, guilt-based sermon. It's not just to fill up one plate, like, hey, we got the plate filled this Sunday No, I want you to create a lifestyle of giving and generosity. Between you and God, decided in your heart, through prayer, prayer, not out of reluctance, not out of compulsion, uh, but out of cheer, out of joy, out of gratitude. That's what I want you to pray about this week. How does it look like for me to do what God is calling me to do? Again, at the end of the day, each person will have a different amount. Each believer will have a different amount, but your amount could be different, but your action is the same. The percentage is different, but the practice is the same. So here's what I wanna say. This is a very specific thing that's gonna change in our services from here on out. We're not doing it this Sunday. After the sermon, because again, I don't want this to come off guilt-based or manipulative or anything like that. But starting next Sunday, in our services, from here on out, we are taking an offering. There will be a plate that goes through. And here's the thing. Even if it doesn't result in this extraordinary amount of money that comes from me, I don't care. But here's what I want you to know. As that plate goes by, you're going to know this right here is just as much worship as singing a song or hearing a sermon. So, so our passive, we don't want to offend people. We don't want people to be we don't want to No, Jesus had no problem offending people. He had no problem telling people the truth. So from now on, that's going to be a part of our worship service, just like everything else. Because it is just as much worship as everything else. Amen. So that's what we see. So we've seen the theology. We have seen the mandate. We have seen the method. And uh, I want to conclude this morning by looking at the motive. The motive. And here's what Jesus says um, about the motive. Let's go to verse 3 and 4. He says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will Reward, You You see, what Jesus is saying here in this passage is he is arguing that your, when it comes to giving, your hand, is, your heart is even more important than your hands. And why you do it is even more important than how you do it. That's what he's getting after. And he says, get this, that when you give for the purpose of getting praised, Whatever praise you receive, that is your reward. Literally, the word there in Greek is that is your wage. You, you worked a certain amount. You got paid for what you did. That's it. And, and I want to encourage you with this quickly. In, in next week, when we start this discipline, this act of worship of passing the plate, if you're someone who gives online, I don't want you to think, oh, man, I got to put something in here because people are going to think I don't give anything. No. <laughs> if you know you're giving... That's between you and God. Who cares what the person next to you think? Okay, I want to make that very clear. He says that what you do in secret is between you and God. The only audience we need is God. That's what we learn here in this passage. But here's what's interesting. Both in this passage that we just read, And then in a passage that I'm about to read to you from Paul, both Paul and Jesus argue that it's ultimately a heart condition. What we struggle with is not with the stinginess of our hands, but with the sinfulness of our hearts. They, They both get after this concept of your heart. And here's why Christianity is different from every other religion. Like, if you're sitting here and you're cynical about everything I'm saying, oh, this is just another pastor talking about money again. This is uh, how religion is. Here's the thing. Islam is generous. That's one of, one of the, Giving is one of the pillars of Islam. Judaism is generous. Almost every world religion is generous. So it can't be generosity that, generosity that sets a Christian apart. Because every other world religion is gener, gener, generous too. As a matter of fact, postmodern, progressive, third-culture people are generous. So generosity can't be what distinguishes us. What we do with our hands cannot be what distinguishes us. Jesus and Paul say that it's what we do in our hearts that makes Christianity different. It's how we and why we do what we do that makes us different. They both know that at the end of the day, what we need is not behavior modification. What we need is heart transformation. Here's what happens when a pastor preaches on money. And you probably have heard both of these types of sermons. They either use guilt or they use greed. So so let me give you the first example. The first example is guilt. They just make you feel really bad about it. And they want you to make an emotional decision right at the end. How much are you going to give? Give it now. Guilt. They just beat on the will until you submit. That's, that's, That's the first approach, the guilt approach, right? But then another approach that's way more insidious and way more dangerous is the greed approach. The pastors who try to get people to give because of greed, and here's what they say. They'll quote passages like Mike, Malachi chapter three, and they'll say, hey, you can't outgive God. Hey, test God and I promise he's gonna bless you. But here's the problem. When the reason why you are giving money is so that God gives you more money your God is money, not God. That's right. Amen. Man, I'm going to call this hotline at, at 2 a.m. This televangelist says that if I give them this money, God's going to bless me with more money. Well, if you do that, your money is God. So, so, so pastors either use... So it's funny because the very people who don't like the Old Testament tithing concept, that's too much. They love the Malachi 3 passage that talks about tithing. That if I give, God's going to bless me. You can't outgive God. All the false teachers in our day, that, that's, that's how they talk about money. And in those very people who are giving to the place where they're poor, they're just buying the dude a bigger mansion. So they either use guilt or they use greed. Paul uses neither, he doesn't use guilt and he doesn't use greed. Paul uses grace. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 9. Paul says, he, this is, he's calling them to give here, and he could easily command them, which would be guilt. But he says, because he had the authority to. But he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Verse 9, I love this. He gives Grace as the reason why we give. Not guilt and not greed, but grace. He says in verse 9, For you know the grace, so he uses head language, for you know, then he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So, so Paul doesn't use guilt, he doesn't use greed, he uses grace, and he says, but you know that Jesus, even though he was rich spiritually, he became poor so that you might become rich. Paul says that it is out of that generosity that Jesus has offered you that you respond with generosity. But the richness, the wealth that he is talking about here in this passage is not financial wealth. It is spiritual wealth. Paul redefines what wealth is, and he says that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. So I don't care if you have a million dollars in your bank account. I don't care if you have one dollar in your bank account. If you are in Christ, you are a billionaire, the Bible says. And I love that Paul uses the language of no. He's talking about your head. He's not trying to manipulate your hand or your, or your, or your, or your heart. He's thinking, he's like, he's like, hey, hey, listen, the reason why you are such a bad giver is because you're not a good receiver. The reason why you are a bad giver horizontally is because you are not a good receiver vertically. You have not fully received what Jesus has done for you vertically And so as a result, you do not respond horizontally. So you would think that we have a giving problem. Paul says we have a receiving problem. And I love it. He says, it's not that you don't feel enough. It's that you haven't thought about it enough. He The word there thought, it literally means to consider something, to ponder something, to behold something. And he says, listen, the more you consider, the more you understand, the more you meditate on, the more you behold the gospel, the more you will respond to said gospel. That's what Paul is saying here in church. And I love how, like I said, he he redefines wealth and he uses economic language to talk to us about what Jesus has done. He's saying, hey, listen, Corinthians, I can easily go the guilt route. I can easily go the greed route, but I am going the grace route because I want you to know what Jesus has done for you. And and, and essentially what he says is, by using the language that he uses, he says, listen, Jesus became poor so that you might become rich. He became bankrupt so that you might become a billionaire. He stepped into your poverty so that you might step into his wealth. He became an orphan so that you might become an heir. And I think the, 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 the problem is, church, is this. This is what I said earlier about how we are not good givers because we're not good receivers. We talked about this a few weeks ago in the second week of this series when when we were talking about the, the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. But if you look at how it's written, it says the only way you can receive an inheritance, the only way you can get everything from God is by admitting that you bring nothing to God. But since we can't admit that we bring nothing, then we can't accept that God is giving us everything. And so what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying is that our ultimate problem, we don't have a debt problem. We have a depravity problem. We don't have a wallet problem. We have a worship problem. We don't have a spending problem. We have a sin problem. We don't have a budget problem. We have a brokenness problem. You see, if our only problem was money, God would have sent Dave Ramsey. But he didn't send Dave Ramsey. He sent Jesus Christ. Because he knew that our greatest problem was our sin and our hearts and our depravity. You know, there's a story in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is at the house of Simon the leper, and we are told that this woman, we don't even know who she is, but this woman with an alabaster flask comes, and the alabaster was a very expensive uh, a fragrance, a very expensive perfume that you can get a lot of money from if you sold. And it says that she, she comes in, and she opens up this flask, and she starts pouring it over Jesus. And it's funny because the one person that got angry about it was Judas, it says that Judas sees what happens, and he gets angry, and he says, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. But he didn't care about the poor. He wanted, he wanted the money for himself, right? And so in this story, in this house, we have two different people. We have Judas that's only around Jesus because he wants to get something from Jesus. And then we have her who is around Jesus because she wants Jesus, And one of the issues with the Prosperity Gospel Church, one of the issues when we go after greed instead of grace is that we inadvertently tell people, hey, if you believe in Jesus, he will get you a blessing. But what I need you to understand is that Jesus isn't the way to a blessing. Jesus is the blessing, church. Come on. He isn't the way to the gift. He is the gift. He isn't your way to a miracle. He is the miracle church. He isn't the path to a provision. He is the provision. He is. And that's why I get bothered when we tell people, again, going back to Malachi 3, hey, if you test God, man, if you, if you give God your money, oh, you got a blessing coming your way. You cannot give God, church, and if you give, God's got something for you. But every time they bring it up, they bring it up in the, past, in the future tense. Well, hey, if, 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 if you give, one day God's going to bless you. But in light of the gospel, God's already blessed me. He's already supplied me. He's already furnished me. He's already provided for me. Who am I to look for more when he's already given me Jesus, church? Yeah, right. <sighs> Only grace can change your heart. Well, I, I'm not preaching on this to manipulate you to get an offering filled. I'm really not. God knows my heart. Because guilt will work in the short term. Greed will work in the short term. But what grace does is it transforms you. It informs your head. It inspires your heart. It impacts your hands. And now all of a sudden you are living a life of generosity. And that's what I want. I want a culture of generosity in our church. But a generosity that is a product of God's generosity. A gospel generosity. An overflowing generosity that comes from beholding and seeing and meditating on the work of Jesus in our place. So that's what I want you to pray about this week. Lord, I don't want to give reluctantly. I don't want to give out of compulsion. I want to give generously and cheerfully and joyfully and with gratitude. Lord, what does it look like for me to do that? That's between you and Jesus. But I'll say this. To the degree that you allow the word of God to inform your head and the work of God to inspire your heart. To that same degree, those two things will impact your hands. And if it's true that in the gospel, Jesus has given us everything vertically, the only response to that is to be willing to give everything we have away horizontally. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now and Lord, if, here's what I pray. If, if anyone here in this room, Lord, is in any way feeling guilted or condemned, then that's my fault. Because that's not what your word does. That's not even what your word says. I pray that you would keep anything I said today from becoming a stumbling block if it's not from you. But if it is from you and it's your word that they're offended by, it's your word that they're convicted by, then so be it. I pray, Lord, that today we would behold the gospel, that we would ponder the gospel, that we would reflect on the gospel. And, and, and the more we, we do that, Lord, the more we reflect on your vertical generosity, the more we will respond with horizontal generosity. God, I thank you that even in this passage, the apostle Paul brings up the word grace 10 times in Second Corinthians 8 and 9, 10 times. Not guilt one time. He knows that ultimately what changes people's hearts is not guilt upon guilt upon guilt, but it's grace upon grace upon grace. Help that be what motivates us today. Help that be what shatters us today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, as we prepare our hearts for worship, I I want you to, in your seats, three things. If If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, maybe your next step is instead of thinking about giving, it's receiving what he has earned for you at the cross. Maybe in this moment of of reflection and and of silence, you you can ask Jesus to to be the Lord of your life, the King of your life. You can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. But maybe for you, what you got to pray about, you already know Jesus, you're already in Christ, is to pray about, Lord, how how can I respond today? What does it look like for me to respond in this message, in this sermon? Like I said, next week, we're going to have the offering plates and all that. But if, if today you feel like you want to respond to that, in the seat back in front of you, there's a QR code. You can scan that. It'll take you right to push pay. You can go to highpointonline.com give. And that's between you and God. And the third option is we're going to have people here who would love to pray for you in the front. If you want to pray, you want to process this or something else, we would love to pray for you. Uh, during the worship time. Let's have a moment of silence and reflection now.